Yo, what's up, y'all? It's your boy Amai, aka Styles, aka Molly Mob. You know what time it is. It's the Portas House Podcast. Let's get it. Alright, so I'm gonna start the episode off by saying Happy New Year. And uh God bless all of y'all who tuned in to the Portas House Podcast. God bless all who did. You know? Now, speaking on the new year, let's go ahead and thank God for a new year. You know what I'm saying? And just, let's live this year better than we lived last year. Alright, with all that being said, today I wanted to talk about some bowl games in the college football world. I also wanted to talk about the college football playoff, of course, and how how those playoff games turned out based off of the selections by the selection committee. So, uh, first bowl game I want to talk about is Michigan-Florida. Now, going into this game, you know, both teams, well, I wouldn't say both teams, Florida had a, a great year by a lot of Florida fans' standards compared to last year, I would say especially. I mean, you come in Florida, you come in with um, a new coach, you don't know what he's going to bring to the table, even though he's he was at the program prior uh, when they won their championships with Tim Tebow and those guys. He was under Urban Meyer, was the offensive coordinator. But you still don't know, as a Florida fan, what he'll do at, in the head coaching position. Like, he was a great coordinator, but is that going to translate into being a great head coach? And coming from a Georgia fan, I think the Florida Gators finally found their coach for years to come. And this, this couldn't have been said probably since Urban Meyer was there. I mean, after Urban, I think you had Will Muschamp. Eh, you know, he, he had his runs. But it wasn't nearly as successful as Urban because it didn't result in a national championship. And then after that, you had... I, f- I forget the guy's name. That's how bad he was. But you had him. <laughs> and he was... He, was, he wasn't he was Florida material, let's be honest. Because, I mean, prior to Urban, you had Coach Steve Spurrier, who I do not like, personally... But he was a good coach. I mean, he had Florida on the map as a national champion multiple times with Danny Warfel as his quarterback. It was good. Florida was a great program under Steve Spurrier, and Coach Urban Meyer brought that same same lineage back to Florida. But after the departure of Urban Meyer, or rather his retirement, first retirement, things kind of look iffy for Florida until they got this new coach. And let me just say, he's doing a great job. I mean, Florida is looking like they're ahead of schedule, which is crazy to say. Because looking at it from a Georgia fans' perspective, it's been fun these past four or five years. To be honest, I mean, we've been beating up on Florida. It hasn't even been a real competition. 
especially two years ago. Oh my gosh, that game was so laughable. Like, I mean, I understand there was a a, a gap in talent, but it's a rivalry game. You would think, even though there's a, a gap in talent, you know the guys would show up and play. Easier said than done, of course. So, um, but yeah, uh, this guy has really done a real good job. Coach Dan Mullen, he has killed it. I mean, I knew he was a good offensive coach from his time with Mississippi State, but they weren't as prolific as I think the Florida Gators could be because you got to think Mississippi State, they're not really a powerhouse in the SEC. They don't have as much reach and recruitment as Florida. But now that you're at Florida – you had as much success at Mississippi State with less talent? The sky's the limit, man. And then with uh, Michigan. Michigan's complete opposite. Michigan, this was supposed to be their year. They were supposed to be the the ones to dethrone Urban Meyer and the great Ohio State Buckeyes from being the Big Ten champs and finally make it to the playoffs in the four-year tenure of John Harbaugh. Well, sadly to say, that didn't happen. Michigan started the year off with a seven-point loss to Notre Dame that at the time looked pretty good. Now it's looking like, really? I mean, I understand there was a couple guys who were injured. Uh, I kind of would say a lack of preparation. But you got to look at it from this perspective. Notre Dame had Brendan Brendan Wimbush. My apologies. Brendan Wimbush starting at quarterback where every Notre Dame fan is like, oh, Brendan Wimbush isn't a good quarterback. Yeah, okay. But they had him at quarterback just for the sake of argument. They had him at quarterback. There was a massive talent gap, at least in my opinion, as far as recruiting goes between Michigan and Notre Dame. And Notre Dame still came out with the win. I mean, I. So that happened. Then Michigan followed that up with another bad loss. Now, prior to even getting to that bad loss, we're gonna take a journey on the revenge tour. Now, the the revenge tour for anyone who isn't inclined on the football, college football world, was Michigan's get at you. To all the teams that they had lost to the year before, Penn State, Michigan State, uh, one more in there. Oh, Ohio State was supposed to be in there. Those were the teams that Michigan was going were going out to go get at and just say, hey, we're going to dominate you from the start of the game to the end of the game. We don't care what you feel about it. We're just going to go out. We're going to dominate. We're going to play Hard-nosed football, run the ball down your throat. Shea Patterson's not going to make any real big mistakes to cost us the game. That's how they were going about it. Now, up until up until the season finale against Ohio State, things were looking up for Michigan. I mean, after that loss to Notre Dame, they went ahead, took care of business against Penn State at home. I mean, straight up demolished them. Took care of business against Michigan State. And then... They play Ohio State. 
Now, this game is intriguing because prior to this game, Ohio State was looking like hot garbage. I mean, they weren't losing outside of their Purdue loss, which was really bad. But after that loss, they just looked worse and worse. Even though they were winning, it just looked like if Ohio State wins out, I still wouldn't put them in the playoff. That's how it was looking. Because they struggled with teams like Indiana, Maryland, who took them to overtime. And it's just like, oh, my gosh. Here goes a repeat of two years ago when Ohio State lost to Iowa and missed the playoff. And it looks like, oh, Michigan has all the momentum, which they did. They had the number one defense going into this game. Shea Patterson was looking really good. Wasn't a Heisman guy, but he was looking really good. The run game with Karan Higdon was really good. I mean, really good. And the sky was the limit. Or so I thought. Because when Michigan got to the shoe and played Ohio State, the usual happened. They lost. But in a prolific fashion, not only did they lose, they gave up 60 points. If I'm not mistaken. They gave up 60 points. Now, I'm saying that like, oh, it's Ohio State. They gave up 60 points to Ohio State. I'm not trying to say it in that manner. I'm just saying, for you to have the number one ranked defense in the country, not in just the Big Ten, but in the country, and to give up 60 points to your rival that you had been hyping yourself up to play all year on your little revenge tour, saying that you're going to beat the big guy in Ohio. And then to do that? Man. But anyway, back on track. So basically, Florida has an overachieving season based off of where they were a year ago. Michigan has a woefully underachieving season based off of their expectations for this year. And Michigan lays egg. Not literally. They did not they didn't not score a point. They scored 15, but they gave up 41 to Florida, to Felipe Franks, the guy who a lot of Florida fans were calling for his head. Yeah. Y'all made Felipe Franks look like, gosh darn, a Heisman frontrunner for next year. I don't understand it. I don't. Shea Patterson was 22 for 36 for 236 yards, one touchdown, two interceptions. Ridiculous. Ridiculous. Felipe Franks on the other side. I mean, he, he didn't look. His stats don't make him look amazing, but he, he was competent. But the score makes it seem as though he was dominant. Which, I, I mean, he kind of was. I mean, both sides of the ball, Florida just dominated. And I'm going to talk it up to this. I'm not making excuses for Michigan, but I'm, I'm going to talk it up to this. And this same thing happened in the Sugar Bowl, which I'm going to get to later. When you have the playoff system now, where you have two semifinal games, where every year alternates between the New Year's Six Bowl, where whether it be... 
you know, this year was the Orange Bowl and the Cotton Bowl. Last year was the Rose Bowl and the Sugar Bowl. And it alternates every year. Which way? Next year, I don't even know. But it, it alternates. The game that mattered last year, where the Rose Bowl, doesn't really matter that much this year, especially with the teams that are playing in it. With uh, Ohio State and Washington versus last year, we had Oklahoma with Baker Mayfield and Georgia with Jake Fromm, Nick Chubb, Sony Michelle, and uh, Roquan Smith on the other side of the ball. I mean, how are you going to beat that? My point is, guys play, playing in these games nowadays, these quote-unquote big games, which aren't that big anymore, these New Year's Six games, it's like, why, you know? I mean, you got Michigan, a couple of their guys are sitting out because, you know, this game doesn't matter. They didn't win the Big Ten. They're not going to win the Big Ten off of this game. They're not in the playoff. It's like, it doesn't matter anymore. You know, the guys know that. The players that are playing know that. They feel it. Now, the program itself may be feeling a sense of urgency to win a bowl game, of course, because money is to be made. But the guys out there that are putting their heads down, getting tackled, got aches in their back and their legs and their bones in general, they're not caring. It's not the same as it used to be when I was growing up with the BCS system. Like, you had the BCS championship. Everyone knew about that. But then you had the Fiesta Bowl. You had the Orange Bowl still. You had the Sugar Bowl still. You had all these New Year's Six games that still meant something. Because you know what? You knew you weren't in the championship, but God dang it, you're still going to play your heart out to win this New Year's Six Bowl because winning that game put you on the map. The perfect example of a team that was in the, during the BCS era that put themselves on the map because of... Two teams, actually, because of the New Year's Six Bowls. Boise State and um, West Virginia. I mean, <laughs> you know, it, it, it's, it's crazy to think. Nowadays, you're in a New Year's Six Bowl, which is really a consolation bowl because you didn't get in the playoff. And guys are just like, uh, well... I'm just here so I won't get kicked off the team. I would say it so I won't get fined, but they can't find you if they don't pay you, right? So it's just like, dude, these bowl games have become so diluted and advertisement heavy and just so bad. It's so, so saturated. All right. Um. Next, I want to talk about the Sugar Bowl. Why not? So, my Georgia Bulldogs, being at number five, one spot out of the playoff, played in a meaningless Sugar Bowl against a Texas team, excuse me, who lost to Oklahoma, who's in the playoff. Even though they beat them in the regular season, they played again in the Big 12 championship, lost to them, and being that you had the SEC championship uh, champion and the Big 12 champion in the playoff. 
you had the runner-ups playing in the Sugar Bowl. Usually, the Sugar Bowl is like the Big 12 champ versus the SEC champ. Not this year. You had number five, Georgia, going against number 15, Texas. Prior to this game, everyone had Georgia slated to thrash Texas. Thrashing. I mean, look at it from this perspective. Just from common sense. Georgia has more talent on both sides of the ball, even though they're younger on both sides of the ball. Think about that. Georgia has more talent on both sides of the ball than Texas, even though they're younger on both sides of the ball. So people are just like, oh, this game is so, like, lopsided. Georgia is going to thrash Texas. This isn't even fair. All this mumbo-jumbo. And then the game is played. Now, prior to the game, you had guys from Georgia talking about, you know, the playoff, which was played uh, two days prior. And they were like, Oh, and these are supposed to be the four best teams in the nation. Talking about Clemson, Notre Dame, Bama, and Oklahoma. And I understand the gripe and the saltiness. I understand that. I will be, I'm salty. I'm hella salty. Because I'm a Georgia fan. And I thought we should have been in. You know, Kirby Smart made a valid point after the SEC Championship. We're going to get to this and I'm going to go back to what I was talking about. But he was like... You know, if you want the four best teams in, we should be in. But if you just want to throw in the four most deserving or four teams that are undefeated or four teams, however you want to put it, then, you know, go ahead and throw Notre Dame and Oklahoma in. Even though he didn't say that, that's what he was implying with that statement. You know? And I completely agree. I mean, I completely agree. Back to what I was talking about with the Sugar Bowl. Um, Yeah, it was bad just like every other New Year's Six bowl game outside of the other bowl game that I'm going to talk about. I'm probably sure you already know what that is, but if you don't, just stay tuned. But yeah, the Sugar Bowl is bad, man. I mean, first quarter, I think, it was, or first half, it was 27 Texas. Like, the kids from Georgia did not look prepared. Or they, they just didn't want to be there. They did not want to play in that game. You can see it in the effort. You can just see it in everyone's faces. Even the coaches. Like, Coach Kirby Smart did not look like he wanted to be there. Honestly, he did not have the same intensity that he usually has in every other game. Even meaningless ones. Like, if we're playing UMass, for instance, I saw Kirby be more intense in that game than he was in the Sugar Bowl, for for crying out loud. What does that tell you? Does that tell you, screaming too, that these guys really want to be here in New Orleans playing the Sugar Bowl against number 15 Texas, whom they know they can beat, whom they know they're more talented than, even with younger players? No. It tells you it's a big middle finger to the committee for thinking that them putting us, or not even putting us, because, I mean, like I said, it was a runner-up. But for them, like the media in general, hyping this game up, trying to hype it up, it's a big F you to them for trying to hype this up as something more than what it is or what it is, which is a consolation game. 
Like, if I'm at, let's say, Six Flags, and I'm doing a little uh, water gun shooter thing, and I lose to a guy over from me. He wins the prize, and the guy who's over the whole thing is like, hey, hey, buddy, here's a little uh, pencil topper for trying. That's what the Sugar Bowl was to Georgia. Now, to Texas, oh, you can tell Texas nothing. This is like the Super Bowl. I mean, they call it the Sugar Bowl. Texas thinking Super Bowl. I mean, honestly, because they were so dormant and unsuccessful for the past few years that this is the most success that they have had since 09. This is the first 10-win season that they've had. And it's like, wow. You know, you just saw the difference in competitiveness. And after the half, I honestly went to sleep because it was late. I did not want to watch that game. And woke up, to not to my surprise, Georgia lost. Honestly thought it was going to be a blowout, but it turns out we only lost by 7, 28-21. But it, that game was so unwatchable. It was so bad. Um, all right, next bowl game. The actual, this is how sad it is. This game outperformed the playoff, both playoff games, in every other bowl game build for the NCAA. This game, ladies and gentlemen, was the PlayStation Fiesta Bowl between number eight undefeated, quote-unquote, national champion UCF, and the LSU Tigers, man, whatever. <laughs> but not all serious. The LSU Tigers. This game was entertaining from the jump. I mean, you had LSU's kickoff returner turning the ball for however many yards. Yeah, I know it was a big chunk. Not that much. And you had L- or UCF rather scoring on their first drive. Their first drive. Then you got LSU coming back. Um. Well, they they scored three on the first round. Not LSU, UCF. And LSU goes, they score. Then UCF scores right back. And then LSU comes back. And then LSU throws a pick six for, I think, like 93 yards. Basically, my point is, when you have a consolation game, if you want to call it that, this wasn't it. Even though it was, it wasn't. This was a consolation game for UCF, but it wasn't for them the same as it was for Georgia. You know, Georgia being one spot out, like a slap in the face here, Sugar Bowl. UCF and the Fiesta Bowl being four spots out, the committee's like, okay, we're going to pitch you against a team that beat the number five team in the country in Georgia and kind of sort of competed with the number one team in Bama. We're going to see what you can do as a team since you, your AD keeps saying that y'all deserve to be in the playoff because y'all are undefeated. Y'all are the only undefeated team in the country. Blase this, blase that. Over the past two seasons, all this junk. The committee wanted to test them. And they did. And in all honesty, UCF pretty much passed. I'll give them a solid 80, which is a B. You know? I give them an 80. 
I honestly think LSU, <laughs> they're undisciplined because a lot, like two of their guys got kicked out of the game, one for targeting, one for unsportsmanlike conduct by punching a player. I think even another one got kicked. But the people around the NCAA football world are like, oh, you know, UCF, they're overrated. Don't let the score fool you. You know, they were playing against LSU's practice squad. Oh, pitch posh, man. Pitch posh. You keep saying that nonsense. You realize UCF, a non-powerhouse, power five school, competed with a powerhouse year-in, year-out school from the SEC, the powerhouse conference in the power five. Like it wasn't nothing. I mean, it was something. But they held their own, is what I'm saying. Like, and we're just going to crap all over UCF. Like, oh, they finally lost. Oh, they're not good. Ha, ha, ha. No, no, I'm, I'm, no. At first, I was on that bandwagon where everyone's killing UCF for claiming the national championship and all this junk. But now, man, I respect the little guy. I respect the hell out of him. Because you know what? They went out there and they balled. They might have played an overrated team in LSU, overranked team, I'll put. But they balled. Even though they were outmatched talent-wise, athleticism-wise, they just balled out. I respect it. I respect it. You know, they're without this star QB. And then for them to put up 32 on an quote-unquote elite defense with quote-unquote elite prospects, and Delpit and the other guy, Battle, and all these other guys. Devin White even played in this game. And for them to put up 32 still, <laughs> tip my hat to you. By far the most entertaining game, like I said. Tip my hat off to the committee for this one. Honestly, didn't think it would be like this. But yeah, and now. For the worst, 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 worst playoff games I have watched personally in the conception or the lifespan, rather, of the playoff system. Let's start with Notre Dame Clemson. So to make a long story short, I went over to a friend's house to watch these games. I arrived late. It was mid-first quarter, and the game looked interesting. I mean, Notre Dame were holding; they were holding their own. Uh, they were holding Clemson from scoring. I think it was like seven-three up until the second quarter. That all changed quickly. Notre Dame did not score another point after that field goal in the first quarter. Clemson, on the other hand, closed out the first half by getting, I think, 23. Like, and people were lobbying for Notre Dame to be in. I don't understand it. I don't. I don't. Clemson literally scored 20 unanswered in the second quarter. 
and yet people were lobbying for Notre Dame to be in over Ohio State, a legitimately talented team who were going to play harder because their coach, Urban Meyer, was retiring. And Georgia, who competed with the number one team consensus all season to the end? (laughs) Okay. Yeah, this game was boring beyond belief. After the second half, or first half was over, I stopped watching. I started playing video games with my friends. That's how bad it was. At the committee, do better. Stop picking based off of, oh, they deserve to be in all this numbo-jumbo nonsense. Notre Dame did not deserve to be in. I don't care if they were undefeated. They did not play in a conference championship, so we couldn't gauge their actual strength. They did not play anyone who was near what Georgia had played or Ohio State in that matter. I mean, literally, these are Notre Dame's three first three games. Played number 14, Michigan. Won that by a touchdown. Played Ball State, who finished under 500 who isn't a perennial powerhouse like Notre Dame, scores 24-16. Yeah. Then they followed that up by playing Vanderbilt at home, at home, and barely beating them off of a botch call of some sort. And the thing that all of these guys are going to say is, Oh, well, Brendan Wimbush, he was the quarterback. Look, if he was so bad at QB, would they have actually won these games? Because, like, the the argument against that probably would be, oh, well, he's so bad, but our defense is so good when speaking to Notre Dame. Like, our defense is, like, so talented. uh, No. No, if your defense was so good, you would have held Ball State to nothing. You would have held Vanderbilt probably to a field goal. I mean, keep that in mind. Ball State put up 16 points on y'all. The quarterback has nothing to do with another team scoring outside of time of possession and turnover differential. And that really is a non-factor, in my opinion, with Brendan Wimbush. To an extent. It's just, it's asinine to think that Notre Dame fans really thought this whole entire season that they could compete with any of the three teams that were in. Or the two teams that were left out. Or, for that matter, UCF. Because, do you honestly think Notre Dame could compete with the team like LSU, like UCF did? Like, honestly. <laughs> Come on. Such a joke. Such a joke. I'm, I don't even want to talk about Notre Dame anymore because every time I do, my blood pressure goes up because it's such, such, it's so asinine. Anyway, let's get on to the, I guess you could say, more entertaining game. 
That's my uh, fake entertaining voice, if you couldn't tell. Okay, so this is the Cotton Bowl between number one Alabama. Fireworks, fireworks, fireworks. Oh, my bad, sorry. The Orange Bowl, my apologies. Should have known that. Played in the Hard Rock Cafe Stadium in Miami, where the crappy Dolphins play. I apologize. But yeah, Capital One Orange Bowl between number one Alabama, firework, 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 and number four Oklahoma, led by Kyler Murray, two sports star, Heisman Trophy winner. And it was a blowout in the first quarter. 21 zip, first quarter. 21 zip. Think about that. A team that is not nearly as prolific as you in scoring scored 21 only because your defense is that bad. Like... Alabama has never been, even in these last two years under Tua, has never been considered to be a prolific scoring team. But your defense, Oklahoma, is so bad that they were able to make y'all look like Bama if they had no defense. And they made themselves look like y'all if y'all had a defense. If that makes sense. Like, what? And then, of course, it's 28, or my bad, 31-10, halftime. Oh, and then Kyler goes on his little run. He scores 10 points in the third quarter. Bama doesn't score in the third because the game is a wrap. And then close it out with 14 points to put it away. And, of course, Oklahoma got 14, garbage time. I don't care. You know, it. games were so bad. They were so bad. I'm so disappointed, highly disappointed in the committee for making people go through this. I mean, it, it's just, it's an embarrassment. And I want to talk about Kyler Murray's performance. Now, you know, big corp sports coverage people, like, especially ESPN, because, you know, they're over the Heisman and stuff. Oh, my gosh. They put Kyler on a whole behind pedestal. Like, I'm on Twitter after the games, like, looking, scrolling, because I'm bored because of the games, <laughs> keep in mind. And I see an infographic about Kyler where it's like, oh, yeah, it's like, 400 yards of offense and three touchdowns. Oh, my gosh, dude. ESPN, calm your, calm your tits, man. Look, Kyler was – he kept them in the game. I give him that. Off of raw talent, raw athleticism. The dude's 5'9", 180, soaking wet. Keep that in mind. That's my Stephen A. impression. He's not an NFL quarterback. I don't care what anyone says. I don't care what the system is. If you put him out there with guys who are 220 minimum and then, you know what I'm saying, plus and above, if you put him out there, he's going to get crushed. 
He's not an NFL quarterback. They're trying to hype him up to be one. He's not. Kill the noise. And back to his performance in the Orange Bowl. It looked good. Statistically, wasn't that great. As far as efficiency, he was 19 of 37, which is like under 60. 51%. Where the benchmark nowadays in the NFL, 66 and above. 66 is kind of low, honestly. 51% against the Alabama defense that honestly is not that great in the secondary this year compared to previous years. He rushed for, I think, 109 in the touchdown on 17 carries. All I'm saying is, ESPN, before we, you know, put a guy on a pedestal, before we say all these great things, before we make an infographic trying to portray the game to be what it wasn't, let's be realistic. The committee messed up this year. Honestly. You know, this reminds me of the year where I think Oklahoma played Clemson and got blown out and Ohio State played somebody. It might have been the other way around. Like Ohio State played Clemson and I don't know. I can't remember. All I remember is Ohio State got blown out and Oklahoma got blown out. And it's like, oh, these these are the four best teams. Oh, so you mean... We couldn't just, like, skip these semifinal games and just go right to the championship. Okay. That's how this year felt. You know, Joel Clack, even though he was making a lot of, like, non-valid points, made one valid point that I agree with. He was like, back in the day with the BCS system, we would not have had to sit through this cockamamie of oodles and noodles bullcrap games. Because the BCS would have just took Bama, would have took Clemson, threw him in the championship. Similar to how 2005 was with USC and Texas. It would have been that simple. And then the rest would have been the rest. But no. The committee wants semifinal games for more money and more advertisements. And it turned into a crap fest. And the championship honestly might be a crap fest. Honestly, I don't think Clemson can beat Bama, even roided, like with roided linemen, as great as they are on their roids. I, I don't think they can beat Bama. I don't think Trevor Lawrence is good enough. <laughs> it's just my opinion. But, uh, yeah. That, that concludes my episode for uh, the Portes House podcast. You know, just want to go ahead and get that out of the way. Just want to say again, Happy New Year. God bless. And I thank you guys for tuning in.